What's up, my magnificent mutts? David here. Devin and I want to thank you guys for all your patience during this, uh, soft reboot period, I guess is the word. Anyway, we'll have another mini-sode in a couple of weeks discussing movies that we believe should be classified as horror, but often aren't. Then in October, we'll kick off the new format with an amazing brand new episode covering The Taking of Deborah Logan and Relic. We have kick-ass guests for both, they're already recorded and being edited right now. And we have a few more great episodes lined up through the rest of the year. But for this month of September, we didn't want to leave you guys high and dry. So please enjoy this re-release of last year's episode on the Skeleton Key and Get Out. In the first movie, Kate Hudson's going down to New Orleans where she'll be looking after an aging man on hospice care. But is there more to it than that? Then, we finally covered a movie that kicked off Jordan Peele's entire empire of a career. A simple story of a man meeting his girlfriend's parents and nothing more. I promise, that's it. That's the whole entire plot. Believe it or not, this actually won Jordan Peele an Oscar for Best Screenplay. Maybe they do like horror. Nah, they don't like horror. They're, they pretended this wasn't horror during the campaign. It could actually fit in the mini-sode later this month. I think we all forgot about that. Huh. But the connecting tissue is, of course, some heavy racial tensions between white and black Americans. Without any further ado, here's Devin kicking us off with our first movie. On the outskirts of the city of New Orleans lies vast swamplands scattered with old plantations. In one home, seemingly lost to time, lives a couple, Violet and Ben. Ben has recently suffered a stroke and is practically mute and paralyzed. Violet, aging away herself, puts an ad in the paper for a hospice caretaker. Enter Caroline. Caroline moves into the home and takes care of Ben. She soon discovers a locked hoodoo room where hoodoo rituals were once held. She tells Violet, and Violet says, Oh, well, let me tell you the story of the house. Once upon a time, this house once belonged to, surprise, a rich white couple, their children, and their black servants, named Papa Justify and Mama Cecile. This is the South. This is a plantation. Like, this, it, it's New Orleans. One night during a party, the parents find their children in the hoodoo room with the servants. The white folks then very gruesomely murdered Justify and Cecile. Haunted by this story, Caroline begins to notice strange things about the house that cause her to become skeptical of Violet. Could Violet be using voodoo to paralyze Ben? The more Caroline questions her situation, the more she believes this to be true. Eventually, she seeks to use voodoo against Violet and use it in order to rescue Ben from the house. That was just Violet's plan all along. 
You see, Violet is in fact Mama Cecile. She's been using her powers to transfer herself, to transfer her soul into others in order to elongate her life. More so, body switching. In the end, Caroline becomes her latest victim. And Mama Cecile and Papa Justify prevail. This is The Skeleton Key, directed by Ian Softley, written by Erin Kruger, starring Kate Hudson, Peter Sarsgaard, Joy Bryant, Gina Rollins, John Hurt. Great cast. Yeah, really good cast. Gina Rollins. Is... Oh, and Gina Rollins. <sighs> yes. I mean, I, I, I'm really bad at recognizing accents. Apparently, everyone makes fun of her accent in this movie, and I'm just like, oh, okay, it's... That's probably correct. I, I'm bad at accents. <laughs> so I, I, I never notice when someone has a bad accent unless I'm used to their real accent. So there are only three on-screen deaths in this movie. There's the old man in the beginning, and then the blink-and-you'll-miss-it lynching flashback. Can we talk about that? Like, like, given how overall tame the film is, what do you think it does that the only real instance of violence is so brutal and rooted in reality? It's so brutal. It's so brutal, in fact, that the director even said he had to cut back some of the brutality due to MPA. So it was going to be more brutal. Like, oh, really? Yeah, I agree. It was so out of place, like so violent, so just horrifying to watch, which I think was the intent to play directly on the so-called white guilt of audience members is just like it's 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 cultural re-traumatization in in my eyes just i'm kind of what what you just said makes sense that he had to ban it back some kind of a two minds that of the one mind it it does feel like unnecessarily brutal and like what is the point of this why are we just suddenly throwing this lynching scene into this movie and I'm also of the other mind that is like, it's almost tame in some ways for what its actual subject matter is that Ugh. like it's quick cuts and then it's just almost not referenced ever again. And it's like, what? Why? It's really weird. It's re it's very out of place. Yeah, it really isn't. And the approach in the film, and I think this is something that we'll talk about throughout our analysis of the film, is they don't really talk about the race issue like at all. Like it's, it's a racially motivated murder lynching. Oh yes. Yeah. But that's not this even is. like, they don't even talk about that. They don't even say at any point, I don't think they say that this is, this isn't, I guess a plantation necessarily because the person, mm -hmm. the old owner, it was a banker, but that's not to say that it once wasn't once a plantation. I don't know. I mean, at that point, I, I don't think they were slaves. I think they were servants. Right. This um, is the 1920s. Although, yeah. Uh, oh, it was I 1920s? Think. I thought it was like the 1890s. I don't know. Something like that, though. It was post-abolition. Um, yeah. Although you could definitely argue that like similar ideas apply as though they were slaves. I know people have frequently interpreted this movie as being about black revenge, that the... the Slaves or servants are rioting. Mm. Do you agree with that? I think I think it's there. I mean, I think we should say that the people that wrote and directed this film are white. Um, yes. Yeah. And I think, like, especially in the lens of these two films, like, it is about education. Like, as we're analyzing mm. this, it is about 
you know, educating our, ourselves on different viewpoints of the film, but also on like just what is being talked about by the filmmakers in both of these movies. Yes, so we're approaching it with an educational lens. So please weigh in at any point. Um, I, yeah, I'm sure we'll say something that we yes. can uh, do better on. <laughs> For instance, <laughs> um, back on point, I yes. actually don't think that the movie is about black revenge as much as it is discussed being. I mean, we just talked about that lynching scene, but I think a key thing to remember in that lynching scene is that per the twist, those were not the black characters who were being lynched. Those were yes. the white children in black bodies. And importantly, Papa Justify and Mama de Cecile did this original sin of swapping themselves with the white children before the lynching crime. Yeah, but then at, at the same time, it, it's hard to say because, you know, what, what we do see are two black people being hanged and burned. Um, yes. And for all intents and purposes, like they watch themselves that was once their body. They do watch mm. them, them suffering. Um, so in a way, this movie does become complicated because then in that sense, <laughs> the main characters that we see um, through Gina Rollins and John Hurt's characters, Violet and Ben, um, they are white but they are inhabited by black souls. So then in your case, David, there's a whole nother way to look at this movie of, are we seeing it as through the, the race that they present or through the, the souls inside of them? Yeah. It's a, it's a little weird. It's a little weird. And black revenge itself is, it, it, it is problematic and it, it's interesting that people view the film that way um, and I think is is one of the reasons why this film is controversial because it it, it does villain vilify the the black characters yeah and honestly given that they started these crimes before the thing that they're allegedly getting revenge for like I honestly don't think that the movie portrays them sympathetically at all. I, I really do see them as just strictly villainous. Yeah. Their motivation is immortality. They're not Candyman. They're they're just evil. And I and that is the problem, right? Is that like they totally are evil and we don't <laughs> we don't really they at one point they <laughs> the director or writer try to like give sense to their their yeah, to what they do. Um Tell me. I think what they're describing the family and how they like, oh, this is what it was. It was um, how the the banker, the owner of the house, treated the servants. They do describe that a little bit in that they mm. did that he did abuse them. Um, mm. So in that way, we get a little more background. But again, you know, if they're showing this violent lynching scene, they don't show any of those moments of of abuse from from the owner of the house. Yeah, I feel like the movie brushes up against the ideas and it has the opportunity to talk about racial inequality or that the or or about the reconstruction area when the slaves were freed and they were given the right to vote only to have that right taken away and were then given such few financial paths forward that that's why you wound up with so many black servants post-slavery but by making it not a revenge by making it that they swapped before and that it's the white children who are lynched 
it, it feels to me at least like they are specifically avoiding discussing that. I see what you're saying. So to you, taking away the race aspect of it, to you, this isn't a revenge period film. Like yeah, this isn't, it's not a they're revenge not getting film. revenge. Yeah. Yeah. And then the history of, of slaves at that time, especially in this area, should be prevalent and I think is in, in audiences' minds. But you're right. Because the film doesn't touch on it themselves. Yeah. It's not necessarily strictly commenting on, on race or revenge here. Although it's really close to it. Uh, something interesting I came upon. Um, I mean, their names are Justify and Cecile. So Justify, okay, that's self-explanatory. His name is Justify, needs to justify his actions, seek justice, blah, blah, blah. Cecile also, though, maybe it could have come from Cecile Fatiman, who was a historical figure in the Haitian Revolution, that she was the one who prophesied revolution and helped to empower the men to lead it through a ritual uh, ceremony. I, I see the parallels there. I don't think the movie explores them, but I find it interesting that that might be her namesake, maybe. That's really interesting. Okay, so I don't know a lot about the Haitian uprising that you mentioned. Do you have a little background on it that you could give us? Not too much. Um, I've kind of had to do my research really rapidly for this one. Uh, from my understanding, listeners, please correct me if I'm incorrect. And please do your own research and don't take things I'm saying as fact. But my understanding is that in Haiti, they were enslaved by France. It was an imperialistic thing. And all the Haitian natives were made to be slaves. And then there was an uprising. And it's basically considered like, one of the, maybe the only really successful slave uprising in history that they overthrew mm. their masters and got their own independence, at least at the time, and got to run their own country. Um, and then it's also relevant that most of the black slaves in New Orleans and Louisiana were specifically imported from Haiti Right. And Louisiana was plagued by all these fears in throughout the 1800s that they would be inspired by the Haitian Revolution and do the same thing there. That I think like that's really what is interesting and I think reflects a lot of like why use this topic as a horror movie. And I I, I want to save that conversation more so towards our comparison um, stage because I think one major thing that we're going to be talking about today is is othering as we do in every single episode yeah. uh, as horror does but othering specifically of another race and i think this is why we chose these movies to compare together so mm -hmm. i think that'll be a really good one for that but i think you're really that's that's really key um but i mean you brought it up i, I think something else that is heavily uh a, a a huge theme in the skeleton key is obviously hoodoo or therefore voodoo which also comes from Haiti. It comes from Haiti. It's practiced in many parts. Um, my understanding that hoodoo is, some argue it's not a domination of voodoo and it came up completely separate in, fuck, I forget where now. <laughs> uh, I think in Western Africa. Yes. Thank you. Yes. That hoodoo came up in Western Africa. Others say that it's kind of a denomination of voodoo uh, or that it was inspired by voodoo or that it's the melting pot of voodoo in... New Orleans specifically, 
but there there is a connection between voodoo and voodoo. Yeah, yeah. And I think the, the biggest distinction is that voodoo is more so a, a, a practicing religion, that there is a a um, belief system in place, whereas hoodoo is more of um, it's more of what people would say is magic. That that hoodoo is more of a a practice of this this magic that does is reflecting a bit a bit in voodoo, but it has no um, ties or or it, it is not rooted in a a deity or a um, extended belief system. More say so. Yes, it it is more of like um, these traditions and these spells, so called rituals. And as you're probably aware, famously in films. Voodoo and hoodoo are villainized and kind of perverted into something that is really just completely inaccurate to what they actually are. Yeah, because it is seen as, you know, stemming from not only elsewhere outside of the United States, even though it was very much popularized in the United States in New Orleans, which is so odd to me that, you know, it is villain villainized, even though it's part of our history. Um but because it, it stems mostly from the enslaved people that came over from, from Haiti and West Africa. Yes. And because, again, they, the white people were afraid of another slave revolt, um, and because they believed that voodoo was part of that slave revolt, a lot of this villainization stems from that. Like, you can find specific sources that were either exaggerating or straight up lying and just spreading myths and rumors throughout the 1800s about voodoo, saying that like, oh, there's cannibals or they're involved in all these crazy orgies. Like these are things that people actually said, which are just nonsense and not real. Uh, Voodoo dolls are not really a thing. Um, In the the sense that we have learned about them in a way. Yeah. Uh, zombies in the original tradition are completely different than zombies we know today. Um, although, I mean, that one's a little bit more complicated. George Romero's movie doesn't even use the word zombie. It, I don't know why we wound up calling them zombies. <laughs> oh, the great the great history of zombies, yeah. It makes no sense. Um, in the Haitian tradition, they've actually been translated as a metaphor for slavery a lot of people interpret the haitian zombie as a metaphor for slavery that it's a body that the soul has left and is being enslaved through a magical ritual oh weird i think that might uh that might play well into a theory that i have for our next film (laughs) nice 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 (laughs) (laughs) i think something else with voodoo specifically too is that it can be seen as anti-christian even though it has roots in christianity actually um yeah (laughs) a lot of voodoo practitioners consider themselves catholic not all of them but a lot of them (laughs) yeah it's seen as a branch but you know to and I'm generalizing here, but to specifically uh, uh, white Christians, you know, it is it is seen as anti-Christian. And this is something that we talk about a lot when we talk about our 80s films, uh, which is like every episode, um, that it, it's, you know, threatening to the the so-called idealistic white American way of life, uh, which includes Christian values. Um, in fact, in the film, just going back to the film fast oh sorry did you have something to say on that oh okay 
No, that was a mistake. Uh, in in the film, um, they describe and this this is hoodoo in the film. They don't talk about voodoo, but um, they do describe hoodoo as American folk magic and say God doesn't have much to do with it. Uh, so I think that there is a a I'm I'm gonna generalize there and say that's more of a direct hit into the the racial difference between everything. I would straight up argue that the movie plays into the fear mongering of voodoo and yeah. voodoo. Um, they're literally using it to make their black villain scary. <laughs> I, I, I noticed this something this time watching it. Um, and I'm curious your thoughts here. So when we are first introduced to the house, um, when, when Caroline first enters, the first thing she sees is a giant, I think, Mary statue that's in the house. And throughout the house, there are a few other, um, Christian, Christian symbols. I was wondering what you thought the purpose was of those i did not pick up on this but i would like to know what you thought of them <laughs> i i'm having trouble because this is you know the house is very much run by i'm going to say mama cecile and violet's body um and i am it is it is curious like the film seems all over the place because i agree with you of what you're saying that you know it's it's vilifying this um this religion but at the same time it's kind of like giving uh giving sense to it i think they do a good job about talking about you know what hoodoo necessarily is and showing what it means to the the people um specifically outside of new orleans and the swamp areas and maybe by mm. using the christian statues in the house it shows that like no actually this is a it could be a branch or they could be catholic I mean, could those also just be left over from old man Thorpe, the banker? Could they be over 100 years old? They did not look over 100 years old, which is the question. Or it could be part of keeping up their presence. I'm, I, I, I literally didn't pick up on this, so I'm just theor random, theorizing blind. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm just curious. because yeah. and, and she's so particular about the house, too, that like, would she not just get rid of those? They get rid of all the mirrors. I'm sure people would find that odd and doesn't necessarily keep up with their appearance as much maybe <laughs> it's just something to ponder and i'm curious i mean if anyone else has has theories out there again uh reach out to us and and let us know they do have other black people in the movie as well um all side characters but it, it is interesting to see how those ones interact with these traditions i mean i guess that you could say that like some of the people at the Creole gas station or whatever, like they're, they're not necessarily playing into a villainous idea of voodoo, but, or hoodoo, but they're, they're still like playing up the stereotypes of hoodoo. Oh, 1000%. The, I think they have jump scares with that blind woman. Um, yep. They have jump scares with the black man who's like chucking, shucking oysters or whatever the hell. Um, yeah, they definitely, they definitely create monsters with those people. Okay, so you did mention the the side characters who are black, and I also think that was a really interesting um, choice. Specifically, Jill, who mm -hmm. says that she doesn't believe in the hoodoo, um, and she kind of just lets Caroline go off and figure it out herself, which I found really interesting. And then Violet also says. The black ones never stay, um, referring to the the nurses that come. Um, yeah. They don't stay long enough to fall for her tricks. And it's worth mentioning, even though Jill claims not to believe in it, she still like 
doesn't want to mess with it or whatever. Yeah, even though fully into it. No, I I I found this really interesting, and the way that I started reading it, or the way that I saw that this could be read, I'm curious if it wasn't intentional. Was maybe this could be a a culture thing that there is a a threat on this culture being passed down through the people that you know whose ancestors brought it over here in the first place. Um, that there is this fear of losing this this culture specifically um, in 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 black lineage more so, um, and with that kind of also hints at this cultural appropriation when seeing Caroline, you know, like you said, adopt to it and start to believe it, even though she may not really want to or doesn't really understand it. And then become possessed by a black woman. Yes. So totally cultural appropriation. (laughs) But it is a thing that Cecile in Caroline's body says, I told you I wanted a black one this time. What do you think of that line? <laughs> what do you make of that? It's like the only mention towards race in the entire film, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's weird. I don't know. On the one hand, it, 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 it almost expresses that there is this horror of the black person becoming a white person, that she doesn't actually want that. Yes. Um. Or you could even argue it as something like, uh, you know, people often read it as like, oh, they have to inhabit white bodies so that they can escape the horrors of being a black person. Maybe now that's not such a big deal and we can be black people again. And we should do that. Can we we focus on that theory for a moment? Because I think that's really interesting is that it's also playing into a supposed fear of, of, white people in this instance, since we are vilifying black people, this is why I'm saying this, um, or not we, but the film is villainizing black people in the way that like, oh, uh, you know, they're, they're becoming more empowered now because yeah, they don't have to hide in white bodies and can, you know, be themselves and, uh, you know, spread their own culture throughout our mm. white women. <laughs> I don't feel like any of this was intended at all. I think it's just kind of, I mean, I think there is a way to read that line in a way that is actually positive toward the movie and where you say like, oh, it is like, I don't know if it's empowering. I feel like I'm too white to give a good answer to this. Fair, and I feel like everything I just said is like, you know, take this, whatever. But yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Um, I think like another theory of mine is like, I don't know enough about the making of this film and I, I mm-hmm. want to research more. And if I had an extra, I don't know, however much DVD is to listen to the commentary right now, I would. But um, it, it could just be a thing where the producers, the lead may not have been written as we don't know how the read it, the lead is written. But the person that can sell the film is Kate Hudson in 2004. You know, like, yeah, who knows if this woman was ever meant to be white in the first place. This gets into my other reading as well. Uh, I'm not going to go so far as to say that the writer wanted her to be a black woman because the writer's also a white guy. Like, I don't I don't think it ever crossed his mind. I think it's just assumed in Hollywood, especially in that time, but even now that your lead needs to be the white woman. So we need to be exploring this through the perspective of a white woman. 
I mean, even fucking Orange is the New Black, which is, like, known for having all these, like, racial interplay and whatnot, still was started off like, we need to go into this world through the perspective of a rich white woman. Yeah. Yeah. And in some ways, this line almost just feels like it's trying to just dismiss that and explain it away. Yeah, like, they're trying to, like yeah they're trying to be like no she actually it's not about race she she really does want to be in a herself i don't know it's it's yeah i the movie would have been so much better if jill was in kate hudson's role i i totally agree and i think by putting kate hudson in the lead it it makes the film more about race and i mean again this film does not explicitly say that this is about race and that is the only line in here that touches on race and it could just not yeah. be about the anything at all um, I, mean, I think even keeping it about race if you had a black protagonist that you could have more interesting conversations about it and you could discuss like the trauma of being a black slave versus being a black person today and what is the interplay between those ideas there, there's so much mispotential <laughs> i know there's there there really really is um i'd love for a black writer to write a sequel to this movie uh where kate hudson is old now and is trying to possess a a, a younger black protagonist i i think that would yeah. have real potential if they were to do that i i would love that and i will say like um, originally when wanting to to pair this film and looking specifically more at like um, the voodoo and hoodoo culture and how we have uh, talked about yeah. it through America, um, I knew that every that this film was made by white people and I was like, okay, but we need a black perspective on this and yeah. trying to find a horror film that involves voodoo from a black perspective, very hard. Very, very hard. So my, I think there's a reason for that. Yeah, and and we very much need a a black perspective voodoo film because one that doesn't villain, vilify black people or this religion or hoodoo in general. Again, I think there's a reason that there is no horror movie about voodoo that is written by a black person. I, I think there's, I think there, that's not a coincidence. <laughs> <laughs> Fair, 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 fair. Of course, if we're wrong, I'd I'd love to be proven wrong because I, I yes, watch please, that movie. prove us wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there was one more thing that I wanted to talk about that this was my first time realizing it on this watch. So even though we agree this film isn't necessarily talking about race, during the credits, the song they chose to play over the the credits is Elvis's song about civil rights and equality. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> I did not piece that together. Right? So I'm like, you don't comment on race at all in this film, at least not in a in a cohesive way where you're actually making a comment about anything. And yet your like big wrap-up song is about race equality. Can you explain to the audience why it being Elvis is also funny? Oh. <laughs> yes. So um, Elvis, um, you know, he's the king of rock and roll and he was very much inspired by black cultural culture in general, um, specifically in Memphis, Tennessee. And so there is a lot of controversy with Elvis, you know, saying that he appropriated this, this music, 
Um, but also at the same time, Elvis was, you know, he's a white guy, but he is um, also trying to use his voice to to talk about equality in that sense. Um, I don't know enough about Elvis and specifically what happened. I do know like the parameters and that this is a very, yeah, very controversial space. So I can't say like for certain. Yeah, same. I don't know if about specifics. I will say that I know he yeah. didn't write his own songs. Yeah, um, and this one um, at the end, he, did, he didn't people, write. But... <laughs> yeah, yeah. This, yeah, this one at the by... end. Yeah, this one at the end was written by two white guys. Um, but it is one that they say, you know, that was very near and dear to Elvis, who specifically, um, you know, wanted to highlight the injustices that were, were going on. And so he did mm. um, promote this song. But it's a really interesting choice. I mean... I don't actually think that the movie is not saying anything about race. I just think that it's not very thought out in what it's saying about race. I, I do think that it is intended to have racial significance, just not one that they like had anything actually to say. <laughs> if that makes sense. Does that make sense? Yes. No, I think it makes sense. I think I think I agree. It's messy. Yeah. And I think maybe all the stuff that that they are probably might be saying about race. We can get into a little deeper um, in our comparison section. Great. So with that, um, I think we're ready to move on to our next film. David, can you introduce us? All relationships have a few hurdles they must overcome. The first date, the first time you do things that would offend Jason Voorhees, and the first time you meet the parents. After four, actually five, months of dating, Chris and Rose have reached that point. It's normal for Chris to be nervous, but there's one extra thing bothering him. Uh, Rose's parents don't know he's black. Rose never thought to bring it up, deeming it irrelevant, and insisting her parents are definitely not racist. But well, maybe Chris had reason to be nervous, as the entire first night is filled with subtle oddities. Rose's father, Dean, keeps calling him my man, her brother, Jeremy, is really determined to fight him, playfully. Her mother, Missy, wants to hypnotize him to cure him of his cigarette habit. Oh, and also they have black servants, Georgina and Walter, who are dressed like they're in a 60s period film and keep on creepy smiling at Chris. Realizing these microaggressions, Rose vehemently apologizes, but Chris dismisses it. He's used to this kind of stuff, and it's not like they're trying to kidnap him and body swap him with the Caucasian blind art dealer, thus sentencing Chris to a life in prison as a passenger in his own body, right? Oh, wait. So it turns out Rose is totally evil and has spent the entirety of her relationship with Chris lying to his face as she preps him to become the vessel for some old white person. This is something the Armitages are quite good at, having perfected the Caligula process. Coagula? Coagula? I think it's coagula. Coagula process. And they regularly auction off the bodies of black people to be possessed as a means of achieving immortality for their white patrons. Uh, Georgina and Walter, those creepy servants, those are actually Rose's grandparents. But by the time Chris catches on, it's too late. He's been auctioned, and now he has no means to take the warning of another body swap victim and get out. But don't worry too much, it has a happy ending. See, after being brutally traumatized, Chris fights his way out of the Armitage house. 
he takes out each family member one by one and even frees Walter the Gardener from his imprisonment. A temporary freedom which Walter uses to shoot Rose in the stomach and then himself. It wasn't clear when I said it has a happy ending, I was being a little bit ironic. As Chris is left surrounded by bodies, debating whether or not to finish off his psychotic acts, he hears a siren. A police vehicle is before him, having caught a black man escaping a house of dead white people. Luckily, this is Chris's friend Rod of the T.S. motherfucking A. The two drive off, leaving the Armitages and their horrific cult behind them. This is Get Out. Written and directed by Jordan Peele, starring Daniel Kaluuya, Allison Williams, Bradley Whitford, Catherine Keener, and Betty Gabriel. And it won the Oscar for Best Original Screenplay. Fuck yeah! What? <laughs> what? But this is a horror movie, David. <laughs> well, they didn't say that at the time. They were all like, oh, it's not a horror movie. It's a, it's a psychological thriller. You, you just only for for a horror movie to win. They just need to completely rebrand it. And they were like, you know, it's about race. Don't worry about the sci-fi stuff that you guys obviously don't like. But it's, it's, it's psychological thriller. <laughs> actually, actually, that that does bring me to my first question because so many thoughts, so many thoughts on that specifically. But do you think? This film, it's clearly this is a movie about race, unlike our last one that is is a little more subtle, but this one is straight up. Um, Do you think this film was made with a white audience in mind or a black audience in mind as the priority audience? Great question. Um, (laughs) So obviously with that whole Oscar race thing, it winds up going for the white audience by rebranding itself and all that. And obviously we are two white people who I assume both love this movie a lot. I I mean, I love this movie. Uh I I don't think it was made specifically for white audiences or if it was, then it was trying to appeal to white audiences in a different way than it was trying to appeal to black audiences and definitely the white audience was secondary. I think. Yeah. I I I more or less agree with that. I think seeing this movie in theaters was was an experience particularly because I saw it in a very diverse part of Brooklyn. So I saw both reactions to this movie. Oh. One being the mostly the the black audience laughing the entire time and the white audience oh, really? cringing. Uh <laughs> It, and and I like I'm not kidding. There was a stark difference in their reactions to this film. Um, it, it it was fascinating, and so I think in that sense, like I do agree with you. I think this is made primarily for for a black audience, but it does have a white message or a message for yeah. the white audience. Um, in that, and it is a it is a relearning experience. Apparently, uh, Bradley Whitford when he had the uh, voting for Obama third timeline. Bradley Whitford didn't realize it was a joke and thought it was completely sincere. And once he understood what was happening, he was like, oh, whoops. <laughs> yeah. No, and I, I, I find it really funny because if we look from the perspective, and this is the point too, if we look from the perspective of the Armitage family, um, and like you said in your synopsis, Rose says, 
they're not racist because they I think they honestly believe that they're not and that everything they're saying is actually, you know, supporting black people. And they're like, no, 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 you're 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 better. You're better for some things like we support you. You're totally fine. But it's just like the way of you bringing that up in the first place makes it ignorant. Yeah, I mean, you can say that you're not racist and be racist. Yeah, <laughs> also that. <laughs> I, I, I'm sure that the skeleton key uh, doesn't see anything problematic with this <laughs> <laughs> Definitely uh, not. Uh, it's... I, I mean, they th- I mentioned the my man thing, and they call that out specifically. They make you aware that uh, white people saying my man specifically to black people and not to everyone else is like, you are clearly making a differentiation there. You are yes. clearly like assimilating culture and whatnot and then later in the movie while he's not one of the armitages uh jim hudson the art dealer when he's prepping chris for the replacement and explaining it he says like oh no 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 this isn't a race thing i'm not i don't care about your race at all uh i'm not racist i just want your eyes man yeah man yeah there is definitely a level of appropriation i guess in that sense but also like not like um like like they say you know black is in and some people just want to be cool but then some things that they do like the shaking of the hand like chris going in to dap logan slash dre's uh hand and uh logan slash dre just shakes it and it's like okay (laughs) there's a difference I love that. Uh, I mean, that's also great because, like, the, the these old white people possessing the younger black bodies that they can be more hip or better at sports, which is something that they 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 play into that stereotype a lot. Yeah, that he can have better eyes, but like that moment also and moments like that specifically point out that it doesn't really make sense like he he is still a white person even if he is in a black body he is not going to suddenly be cooler (laughs) yeah yeah exactly and it in a way it it does fetish it fetishes that it fetishes that no what's the right word fetishizes fetishizes wow i thought i knew how to say that but that is weird to say (laughs) It fetishizes black people uh, more so for their body and separates them from their mind. Well, there were two great articles that that we read. I'm going to shout out both of them. One is on Fangoria uh, for the the for the series The Swallowing, entitled "Body Snatchers and Spell Get Out and Hairwolf," written by Leah Anderson, and then another one that was on Medium. Um, called Invasion of the Body Snatchers, written by Danny Bethia. And both of these point out this specific portrayal and get out, which is the the fetishizing of, of the black body and the separation of of the black mind that that inhabits it. Whereas the white people don't treat black people as as people. Specifically this this Hudson character, which I find really interesting and I think um one of the authors pointed it out in their articles that yeah, he thinks that by possessing Chris's body, he will suddenly get 
you know, his eyes, which will then come with Chris's ability to his artistry. Chris is a photographer and he thinks he has a really good eye, but that eye isn't physical. It's, it's emotional. It's soulful. It's, yeah. it's not the body. It's not the physical eye. It's Chris himself. And on that body and mind thing, there's also this moment when with uh, Jeremy at the dinner table, Jeremy's the brother, when he's talking about jujitsu. <laughs> and he, he's basically saying like, oh, you have a really great body, so you'd be really strong. And uh, but but I know jujitsu and that's a chess game. It's all about the mind. It's like okay, so basically you're saying black people are stronger, but white people are smarter is, is basically what he's saying. Yeah. And the father, I think actually the. The father or the grandfather says this um, when they're talking about it. They're like, oh, with your physical abilities and our determination, we can create, you know, like the greatest thing ever. Horrible. Also, just a quick, doesn't really connect, but I just want to throw out this quick aside. Rose is the one who entrapped both Georgina and Walter. We don't know their, I don't think we never learned their actual names. She had sex with those bodies that she put her grandparents into. <laughs> she did. She, she keeps she... the pictures. <laughs> Why does everything that we watch turn into incest? <laughs> it doesn't really matter. I just I just wanna mention that 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 is a thing that happens in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god wait, wait 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 i know we'll talk about comparisons later but also there is incest in the skeleton key right oh yes there is there is incest in the skeleton key because justify and cecile are partners but they then inhabit a brother and sister and live in there for like 60 years yeah they definitely had sex in those bodies come on yeah 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 Cool, 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 cool. Rob's not even here, and we we got to incest. Awesome, awesome. Thank you. I mean, look at the movies we're discussing. Like they just bring it up. (laughs) It's just right there. (laughs) Low hanging fruit, literally. Oh, oh, oh. One thing I was gonna say that I really love that I just that uh, on this watch. I think I understood just watching it after having read these articles about the Mm. the body and mind separation. Chris wins in the end. It's so good. It's so good. Chris wins in the end by using his mind. He actually outsmarts them at first. And that is so needed to show that like he is more than his body and he actually is is smarter than these people. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Which is why at the end when he's uh, strangling Rose and then she she begins to smile. It's such a it's such a good moment because she sees in him that he is, you know, playing into exactly the fears and beliefs of her family, you know, that he is like winning through his, at that point, brutality. And that's why she begins to smile, that creepy ass fucking smile. Mm. And mm. then that's why he lets go because he realizes that he's better than everything that they thought that he was, you know? That makes sense. I was actually wondering about that. I like that you how you explained that. I, I like that. Ah, oh, brilliant. Can we actually talk about Chris's character for a minute? Yeah. I've seen this movie a lot of times now, like four or five times. Uh, so this watch, I was kind of really queuing into Chris specifically. And why does it have to be this specific protagonist? And, you know, the backstory they give, which it doesn't immediately seem to connect, is about how his mother was 
killed in a hit and run when he was a child. She didn't die instantly, but he was right inside watching TV and he did nothing. He just sat there. I think that what, like, obviously this is like his trauma that he's carried with him his whole life. And I think that what that does for him is it paints him as someone who, when terrible shit is happening, he tends to dissociate. He tends to try to push it to the back of his mind and ignore it, which is also Mm -hmm. what he is doing with all of these white people being subtly racist toward him as he's trying to push it away he's dissociating from he's like it's no big deal i'm used to it right yeah i agree he's kind of allowing them to to have the power in the situation and doesn't necessarily fight back i i think that's a beautiful reading and i think you know it's something that we see um motifs of the deer specifically mention his Mm -hmm. call back to that moment with his mother um the deer on the side of the road he sees the deer over the television yeah um, in in the basement when he's when he's handcuffed and he, that image is also so interesting because you know the TV's right under him and so it, it calls back that moment of him just watching television or choosing yeah to go after the deer yeah I, I there's several hit and run moments which I think can relate back to that so through that with the deer in the beginning you wind up seeing deer as a metaphor for race. And then the dad raving about how uh, deer are terrible and we need to exterminate them and they're they're riddance on the world. Like, that's just him revealing his racism. Yeah, that was a very blatantly obvious scene that was very hard to to watch. (laughs) And then Chris kills him with the deer head. Yes. Yes, he does. I love that. But then the other hit and run moment is... At the very end, when Chris hits Georgina with his car and goes back to pick her up, it's like the one time he doesn't dissociate. In that one, maybe he should have, because then she immediately attacks him and he would have gotten away. (laughs) Yeah, that's so hard. I mean, because you see, I think there is so much symbolism in this movie about about, Mm. um, power structure in general. And, and to watch, you know, a, a black person, no matter who's in, I mean, inside is both a black person and a white person. Um, they've, they've fallen to this white power, right? It just, yes. just like, yeah. And so I see that struggle with him and it is so fascinating of him debating whether or not to, to go back and help her because it's like, who, who is she really in that moment? Like, is she Georgina or is yeah. she the grandmother? Um, and where does yeah. your allegiance lie? It shows it shows that power struggle. That is, it, it's it's very complicated. It's a sunken place. It it is. I I agree <laughs> with that. Actually, I think there are so many theories about the sunken place, but for me, that's that's what it is, and why his backstory works perfectly because it's the sunken place is that moment that he felt in front of the television when his mother was dying was yes. paralyzed as as they describe it, um, powerless. Um, helpless, totally lost. Yeah, exactly. That sunken place scene is maybe the creepiest in the film. Um, if you haven't seen the movie in a while, <laughs> the sunken place is um, when the mom, Missy, hypnotizes him. She tells him to sink into his chair, and he sinks, and basically the entire movie becomes like he's in this almost void space-like area 
and the reality of his vision becomes just like this little square that just shrinks farther and farther away from him like a television uh it's 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 creepy and it is the way the movie visualizes being trapped in your own body it's so good and something when we were preparing for this episode rob was bringing up the motif of television and unfortunately we won't get to hear his theory on on it but um it got me thinking about why we we do chris talks about television a lot and obviously it's very important for his backstory and i guess in a sense like for me, it could also be a way of showing how he is getting uh, washed up in this in this white culture. And as you were talking about being kind of like a, a passenger, as they eventually describe it, Stephen Root's character, the, the gallery owner, says your existence will be as a passenger. And that's kind of how I see Chris before he even gets to this house. So he's getting washed up in this and, and you know, during this time, we're talking a lot about black representation in film and how... There isn't enough of it now, but um, how there was starting to be, not even starting to become more, but how there needed to be more at the time. And I see that uh, as as television being kind of a representation of that in a small way, if that makes sense. That by him watching a lot of TV, which he admits to, that he's, you know, under the influence more so of of the white culture than he is in touching of the roots of the the black culture. Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. I mean, obviously, Jordan Peele comes from TV himself. I mean, his most recent movie, which I didn't care for, but I, I think that you guys disagree with me. Uh, nope is can be read as a metaphor for for television and movies, and it it talks more about television. There's a little subplot about television. Like this is clearly something that Jordan Peele is interested in is how we relate with media. In that sense, what you said, basically, that television represents white culture and how it influences Chris and how it dominates him, maybe? I don't know. We're both struggling with words a little bit, but you kind of said it better than I did. But yeah, essentially essentially that. There needs to be more Black representation in media. That's the bottom line of that one. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. I mean, I think it's more than that. Like, television is also just the fantasy and i i it, it is the fantasy it is the perfect world where everyone is equal and your mother where your mother hasn't been hit by a car you can get absorbed in that and get away from the real world and i do think this movie is talking a lot about this association right because in order for hypnotism to work you have to be in a suggestive state you have to already have that want or quality and so with this backstory, it does show that that Chris um, is more suggestive to that, possibly because of what you're saying by using the television in his past as as a way to escape. Yeah, the television is a hypnotic force in itself. It is. Also, Catherine Keener was in Being John Malkovich, which has a similar premise. Oh, you're right. Anyway, you already heard that. You know that. <laughs> Something else that I found really interesting. Um, uh, going way, way back to the fetishism of um, black bodies was um, how the Armitage family and their friends are pretty much doing what white people have always done, which is using black bodies to empower them and get further along in life, whether it be, you know, elongating life, but also 
Mm. So many people go up like the guy who played golf, he wants to play golf again and become better or the grandfather um, wants to run again and can get further by running. And then of course, uh, we've talked about Stephen Root's character enough, but yeah, in that way, I found it really interesting. Um, Obviously through slavery, we've, we've seen that white people were using black people to, to make their wealth um, and not do any work. Uh, I mean, but throughout all of history, uh, specifically one of the articles, um, Leah Anderson notes, um, Marion J. Sims, who is known as the founding father of gynecology and how he would uh, conduct experiments on black women. And I think we see that a lot throughout science as well. Oh, Doing research for this, I found a lot of those, which is terrifying but yeah essentially a lot of white people have gone on to make names for themselves and find fortune and fame through the uh, brutalization of of black women yep uh-huh well you know i wish i was surprised i know it's just funny that like you know get out was part of the the beginning moments of that like re relearning experience um for a lot of people i think uh, so much so that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of white people saw the movie and they're like, oh, let's give this an Oscar. <laughs> I feel guilty, <They're- laughs> but not too many, but I feel guilty enough about the way that I and my ancestors have treated black people that we should award this film. I mean, this film should be awarded. I, I Like, it, it's a great fucking movie, but I think it does play into... Like that, that white guilt, that the film doesn't purposely take control of it. I think it, it uses it in a helpful way of, of the white guilt in a way that people will like realize that that exists. I will point out uh, with the Academy, with the Oscars stuff in the Academy, we don't have statistics on what the actual vote was. We only know the nominees and the winners. Um, Get Out was after, I, I think it was right after the two years of the hashtag Oscars so white stuff. And the Academy actually had responded to that and expanded its voter base specifically the year that Get Out mm. was nominated. So there were a lot of new voters that year. And I think that it is possible, obviously this is pure speculation, but it is possible it's the new voters who were expanded specifically in thinking like we should be less old white people specifically. Uh, and the, these new voters coming in who were not just old white people were maybe the ones who voted for get out. Yeah, totally. But still, I'm sure a lot of white people voted for get out. I would have voted for get out. I know I would have voted for get out too. Um, <laughs> I would have, uh, but on the basis of it being a, a fantastic film that is still yeah this was like i don't fucking know what number of time i've watched this and it it holds up so well and you don't think you're influenced by white guilt at all i probably i mean i, I think to to deny that would be to deny a lot of things but i think like yes yeah i i i watching this movie the furthest first time obviously had a really big reaction not just because of how good the content was but because of you know where i stood in the characters um and and knowing exactly the culture of of the white people in Connecticut and how they treat people and and I think like during that scene when Rose is taking Chris around and um showing him off or you know uh like a prize pig essentially because he is about to be bet on but everyone has a comment about Chris and in, in a different way of how they view him you know 
Um, yeah. Like the wife saying, oh, is it really better? Is it really bigger? Like, yeah. we've all heard those comments and we've all let them slide at one point or another. So I think like yeah, there definitely. there is a reaction here that everyone who watches this movie is involved in, in, in some point of the film. So I think we're about the time that we can start comparing these films. It, it is so interesting after, you know, Get Out is from the black perspective um and as we agreed was primarily for a black audience whereas uh skeleton key is by a (laughs) bunch of white people one thing i found really interesting that you were talking about with chris's character in particular is just analyzing him so what do you think caroline's purpose was in comparison chris and in terms of like entering this world in skeleton key maybe you'll have something deeper to say about her um i I, I honestly, I kind of see her as a bland character, and I don't think that she was the best choice through which to tell that story. Oh. Um, I mean, I already said that I think the story would have been more interesting with a black protagonist like Jill. With Caroline, it's weird because, like, I'm saying all these things about how Chris is disassociating. Caroline isn't. She's kind of like makes really massive leaps in logic. She's like, oh, a stroke victim is asking me to help him. Someone must be controlling him. It's like, what? <laughs> he had a stroke. Of course he wants you to help him. It's like, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't understand these leaps in logic. She's like, the, this old woman is afraid of the mirror. So maybe he is true. I should hold up a mirror in front of him and be like so slow and methodical about it just to freak him out. It's like, what? What? That, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> that, that. That one was pretty hard. interesting i see for me maybe it wasn't clear enough and maybe because i've seen this movie a hundred times but um i i found her character to be a lot more um a lot deeper than that i felt yeah these are leaps but i think they they set the foundations of it pretty well i think her backstory with her father is so important um how essentially caroline's character was so lost in life she dropped out of school to just help out her friend's bands and stuff. Um, Supposedly, we're not sure, but maybe that's what brought her to New Orleans in the first place. She's not from there. She's from Jersey. Um, And then while she was off doing God knows what, her father got sick and died before she could really go back and take care of him. And so we see that as her motivation for this entire uh, thing, that this grief that she's suffering through um and we've covered grief enough but i see that grief motivate motivating her in in that sense specifically for the the ghosts and stuff and for this spiritualism is that she wants to believe in that stuff because if if she does her father would have some sort of better rest or you know better care oh Oh, i didn't get that at all (laughs) um i mean i saw it as like a lot of things in this movie i just kind of saw it as sloppy and i had while I think the movie is trying to comment on race, I think that part of the reason it's race stuff is so sloppy is because that's not what it's mostly interested in. Mm-hmm. That it's mostly interested in this fear of growing old and dying. That uh, Caroline leaves her job in the beginning because she feels that the people at the hospital and the hospice uh, do not care about the dying that they are taking care of and she wants to go somewhere where she can make a difference so i'm gonna go work with a wealthy white family instead (laughs) um it doesn't really okay you do you um 
That really is interesting though. Cause yeah. Okay. Talking about that moment that she decides to leave her, her original job was when she's going to throw away uh, this box of, of, I forget his name, but the car- the the old man's stuff in a dumpster. And after them saying, you know, he has no family. Mr. Talcott. Mr. Talcott. He has no family, no one to take care of him. We're just going to dump his stuff and there goes his memory. Like nothing lives on after that. Yeah. Does that not feed into exactly what Cecile and Justify are doing and that they want to elongate their yeah. life in this tradition and be remembered in a sense? I mean, the end of the film is that Caroline becomes a dying old woman. She becomes Mr. Mm. Talcott, except white. Except white. I I feel like it's just a stretch when you tie them into each other. I don't know. I mean, I see what you're. I see where you're coming from. If it's not obvious, this is also like this is a deep analysis. <laughs> After years and years and years of thinking about this movie. Um, yeah. But I, I do, what I did find really interesting um, because we are comparing is that Get Out was essentially film. Like it, it's the same mm-hmm. plot, you know? Yeah. An, an outsider exactly comes in. Yeah. People don't want to die. There is a fear of aging in here. Yeah, definitely. And I guess that's also where it's at odds with itself. Cause like I was saying that people seem to interpret the movie as a revenge story and I don't, think it is actually a revenge story because i think it's really about this desire for immortality and this fear of death and that winds up being at odds with the other things that it could be saying which i think would be more interesting i see that i think for me i'm, I'm gonna make a stretch here and okay try to tie this together and let's see how this works so <laughs> immortality i think one thing that we can agree on maybe you don't agree but uh, one thing that has been said about immortality is that your stories and what you leave behind is what makes you immortal right like this is a belief that a lot of people have your your kin you know whatever whatever you leave behind that that's what makes you immortal sometimes and a lot of the time this is through tradition tradition is passed on um, specifically in families like we see in get out you know the grandparents passed it on to the parents who passed it on to their kids it's a tradition to put back black people into a second pace and take over their bodies <laughs> it's the tradition of this family um but in one way that that is immortal and so i think with that tradition comes a lot of culture which lies in more race i think like that to me is more of the the stretch here I mean, I'll give you the tradition. I think definitely both of these movies are discussing that heavily. Um, And they both definitely tie into this passing down and from generation to generation. One is talking about more how white families pass things down generation to generation. The other is talking more about how black families pass things down generation to generation. Also, though, in a way of like each one touching on tradition in that sense, they kind of also touch on the great replacement theory. Do you know this? Uh, remind me. I've definitely heard that before. So the great replacement theory is essentially the um, a, a fear of white people is that non-whites or non-white immigrants are coming in to replace them in society, replace their political power, oh. do the uprising like you were talking about in Haiti um, with the enslaved people, mm. and basically the quote erasure of the culture of white people Hmm. so i kind of see that in a sense of like if we're talking about tradition there is like and possibly an erasure thereof 
or an advancement thereof um, and get out. I feel more of like an advancement and, and skeleton key, more of an erasure mm. and, and fitting into like the fear of, of othering. Get out still plays into white people being afraid of being replaced. Like you have the grandfather spends his entire life being upset that he was beaten by a black man at sports. You have the, the brother trying to show that he's superior to black people by overpowering them. Uh, yeah. Things like that. But then it also has that that white people's response to that is to appropriate black culture and to become black. Yeah, which is nuanced and very odd, but also is exactly what we're seeing or, you know, what, what, what we are seeing with the appropriation. For the skeleton key, it's a little bit harder, but... It, but it does it, it plays on these fears. I think it's it's less so in like the story and the representation itself in in the film, but more so of like how they're how they're selling the story to to people and to audiences. It, because it really is preying on on vilifying these these two black characters and yeah. their culture. And in that sense, like we we accept that as an audience because that's what we've seen, but also because it plays into the great replacement theory. I think and. The skeleton key, the black people are literally replacing the white people. Yes. Old man Thorpe, the banker, accidentally killed his own children and raised two black people in their place who then killed him. Yeah. And I think that that directly plays into that, um, which is horrible that this is. Yeah, this is not yeah. what this is not what <laughs> horror movies are for, guys. Like, come on. Have we learned nothing? <laughs> yeah, I mean. With that, like, along with this idea of cultural appropriation, what we're also getting at is the loss of agency in both movies. That in uh, Skeleton Key, Caroline is losing her agency to this black couple that possesses her, as well as the lawyer. Um, and in Get Out, I mean, the entire second place is you are a passenger in your own body. Yeah, exactly. And I, as... The two articles that we had mentioned earlier, you know, both of them mention body snatching in their their title, but that's what it is. It's like this loss of agency is the body snatching, which I find so fun, which I find not funny. I find it interesting because usually when we think of body snatching, obviously we think of invasion of the body snatchers or some like alien movie. But here. Which is weird because that's not what invasion of the body snatchers is. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. But you know what I mean, like uh, like some alien movie um, yeah, where they might the control thing. us. Yeah, the thing. Thank you. The thing. The thing being a perfect example. Um, go listen to our episode on the thing. It's like number two episode. It's a really good episode. Um, yeah. but yeah, it 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 brings the fear. Oh, I love this. The call is coming from inside the house. Boom, done. That's what it is ha! in the in these two movies. Ha! Oh man, wait. How is it the call is coming from inside the house? Because it's not aliens. They're not from another planet. This is our planet. This is our earth. This is our country. These are, you know, it's it's literally like these are the people that we're dealing with day to day. It's 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 the fear that we're greeted upon day after day, hour, hour after hour that we have to confront in ourselves. But we're dealing with outsiders in the movies and we're dealing with othering and different cultures. Yes. If anything, it's interesting. The movies almost parallel each other in that they're kind of expressing the same fear, but opposites like in the skeleton key it is white people being afraid of black people stealing their agency 
and in Get Out, it is black people afraid of white people stealing their agency. Yeah. I would argue one of those fears is much more justified than the other. Uh, <laughs> yes. And not the one that involves justify. <laughs> mm hmm. <laughs> but they are both dealing with this similar fear. It's weird that white people have the same fear of black people that for black people is actually a more justified fear that is historically like this has happened a lot in history that's that's it's really like i i understand the history backs up that fear yeah but then why do white people have the same one no that is interesting and i think that's exactly what makes the skeleton key so messy it's because it's like look we both kind of have this fear but then doesn't make any statement or touch on it or go deeper into it at all yeah i i really do want to hear like a, a non-white perspective on these movies um please tell us if we are way way off the mark or if there's something that we missed or if there are extra layers that went completely over our heads please let us know yeah I, i'd be curious to hear yeah i i totally agree and as we said earlier like we're both very aware of our whiteness and our um, ignorance towards certain things we can only go far as far as like the research that we did and and we did try in our research to primarily find sources from from black writers and their coverage of both of these films but um yeah there there is there is a limit did you learn anything about yourself when you first watched get out or the skeleton key oh i'm sure i'm sure nothing yeah, i, I like want to go deeply to in on on mike on our horror movie podcast but uh yeah catch catch me somewhere else we can chat about it <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well i think it's time for rob's favorite part of the show which is the bone review section where we rate each movie on a scale of uh zero to four bones starting us off with the skeleton key is devin shepherd look i'm aware there are there are problems with this movie okay I, I i'm aware but this movie meant so much to me when i was younger after going through it and looking uh, at this film with the, with this lens specifically in the, in the race lens i was like okay why the hell did this movie mean so much to you i'm gonna chalk it up to the fact that like i loved kate hudson's character i know you had problems with it, her david but like i think i thought she was a really complex cool character that showed you know she she was caring but not in a way where she was weak and that was a female character that i hadn't seen so many times on film. And then by the point where we get to um, Kate Hudson, Caroline running out of the house and Gina Rollins, Violet going after her with a shotgun, like just this older woman and this younger woman having a shoot off. It was so fucking epic and definitely not like anything I've seen before. So I know guys made this movie and it fucking sucks, but I still see this movie as like some strong um, female characters. And so it meant a lot to me. I also have an obsession with, voodoo and hoodoo and, and new Orleans in general and the whole history of the city and um, music and, and, and the jazz. And I know this is like, sounds so bad, but like I, it, I, it's all of my favorite things. So I think it, it started a little bit with this film and it, it really shows uh, so much of, of, of that life in new Orleans, particularly. Um, it's scary. I didn't see the twist coming at first. I think the performances are pretty good. They did John Hurt bad, though. He really should have done more with that movie. Because of the nostalgia, I'm going to give it three and a half bones. 
Okay, David, you can tear it apart now. Let me know your thoughts. We'll start with the good things, because there are a few really good things that I do genuinely like about this movie. The first is Gina Rowland's performance. The second is Kate Hudson's hair. She has really good hair. <laughs> and the the third is the twist is I, I don't think I saw it coming the first time I watched the movie either. And watching it again, you can pick up on all the foreshadowing. There's a lot of cool stuff in there. Like uh, there, there's when when the lawyer, Luke, is getting to know uh, Kate Hudson better. And Gina Rollins walks up. It's like, ah, well, you, you kids are getting to know each other, I see. And when you watch it again, you're just like, oh, she's super jealous because this is her fucking husband, obviously. Um, and things like him talking about how, like, oh, in our day, we used to curtsy. There's a lot of, like, subtle things that when you know who these characters are, you pick up on them, and they're cool. It's not enough to, like, make the movie fun to rewatch, in my opinion. <laughs> I feel like a lot of it really drags. Just Caroline is just bland and makes really massive leaps in logic that on a rewatch, like on the first, there's, there's nothing more to it than the mystery. And once you know the mystery, it's kind of dull. And then there's all the problematic stuff. <laughs> it is a good twist. And I wish there was more to it than that. And I still think that like, it, it's just good enough that I am mournful for how much better it could have been with a black protagonist. If Jill was cast in the Kate Hudson role instead of being the most stereotypical black best friend trope that you could imagine, who has absolutely no effect on the plot whatsoever. The one other moment that I want to call out, though, the, the, one, the one moment when it works that it's Kate Hudson instead of a black woman is a complete throwaway line that is entirely out of place and complete nonsense where where kate hudson says i quit college to help with a friend's band i was always on the road and i'm just like that doesn't fit your backstory at all oh that's because this is an almost famous easter egg i love almost famous cool but yeah i'm uh, chew bones because i like the twist so get out I, it's hard to summarize get out because this movie is just it's it it's just solid. I really enjoy this film. I think the script is really cool. There's so many Easter eggs, which makes this film really fun. But I think for me, out of everything, yes, the script's great, but the performances are so fucking killer from every character. It's like Daniel Kluwa nails it. Allison Williams, who I never enjoyed watching or thought that she had acting chops before this. And yes, I was a fan of Girls fucking kills it exactly the way that she needs to be great casting choice bradley whitford does well Catherine keener is just Catherine keener lakeith stanfield fucking a i love him so much he does great in this and then i could keep going i know david and i have a really big thing about betty gabriel and i'm sure he'll mention it in in his review but yeah every, everyone gives a, a a killer performance here um the directing is well done um it is thrilling it is engaging I have issues with the third act. Um, I just fall off. By by that point, I think there are a couple moments that lag for me, um, especially upon upon rewatch. It leaves a little bit of holes. Yeah, I, I don't really have many bad things to say. I just I just feel like it lags a little bit. So I'm gonna also give this one three and a half bones. All right, David, what you got? What were the setbacks? The third act. The entire third act. I'm just like ah. 
Oh, I love the third act. Bored. Really? Wow. Okay. Um, I think the third act is absolutely perfect in every way. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad they did not go with the original ending of the movie where uh, it would have actually been the cops who would have arrested him. And then he was going to talk to Rod on uh, at the jail and just be like, ah, oh, it's cool, we won, we're fine. Um, I think that would have been a terrible, sad, depressing ending that would just not have been a nice message. I, I prefer that it is inspiring and encouraging and shows him overcoming these horrible people. I know a lot of people in talk about always bring this movie up as like one of those movies where the protagonist is screwed after the fact anyway. Why well, shouldn't get him just like but he's not though. Like there's really clearly evidence of everything. There is literally like a an a brain surgery that he just left in the middle of the brain surgery. Chris is not a brain surgeon. He doesn't know how to fake that shit. And then you like have all these corroborating witnesses like Dre, who you just go up, snap a photo of him and say, hey, is all this of Chris said true? And he'll just say, yes, please help me. Uh, save me. Everything he said is true. <laughs> I am a prisoner. <laughs> like, no, he's he's fine. He'll, he'll, he'll be OK. He's, he's going to get off with this and uh, everyone's going to completely freak out over everything that's happening watching this movie after watching this movie after the skeleton key made me appreciate it even more because all of the things that the skeleton key in my opinion does wrong get out this well i do like chris as a character i love that he's resistant to the mystery i love that he is resistant to figure out what's going on because he has a lot to lose like it, it It is that dissociation that if he admits what's going on, then it becomes real. But it's also like, I, I mean, he has a five month relationship going on that will be thrown completely out the window if he admits that this subtle racism is maybe more than that. I love everything about this movie and it's so good and there is so much to rave about. And yeah, Betty Gabriel is, Betty Gabriel's fucking amazing. She's just absolutely wonderful in this film and why doesn't she have a bigger career right now um i love Betty gabriel i love all the actors in this movie i think they all do an outstanding job i think jordan peele did a great job directing the film uh there's that one shot in the beginning when he first meets the parents um and we've been building up to this moment we've been building up nerves of it and then when he finally gets to them at the door we just see it in this big, huge, extreme wide shot that is even dollying out. And like, we don't get to really get a clear idea of their reactions. It's again, it's disassociating. It's, it creates more of this mystery. Uh, this is a really well-directed movie. A lot of inspiration from the Stepford Wives. Oh man, I, I love everything in this movie. <laughs> this might be the best movie we've covered on the podcast. Like, let's get out. Four Bones. Of course, it's four bones. <laughs> Damn. Damn. That's a good review. I feel like you've given at least like one other review at that level, though I can't recall what movie that would be for. Probably one of the other four bone ones. I guess so. Well, that about wraps it up for our analysis of The Skeleton Key and Get Out. Um, as we said, really, really want everyone's thoughts here. What did we get wrong? What did we get right? Um, did you see something else when watching these films? 
tweet us at cadaver dogs pod or hit us up on Instagram. We read all our DMS. We read all our comments. Um, same thing at, at cadaver dogs pod next month. We have something special for you. So join us back here until then. See you mutts. By the way, I, I would have voted for Obama for a third term if I could. <laughs>